welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. I'm Mary Hart, Timeless Medicine for a Cynical Age. The first talk from a mini-conference on humorous literature by Matt Carpenter. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together for a beautiful morning, for giving us so many wonderful gifts, including the gift of humor. May we receive from it. May we grow. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Humor is one of God's sweetest gifts. There's not much better than hearing a good, funny story. On the other hand, there's not much worse than a detailed analysis of humor. Dissecting humor is like dissecting a banana split. They were made to be enjoyed, not dismembered. That's why many take umbrage with humor. They prefer to break it down because they can't enjoy it. At least they can't enjoy joyful humor. Like all of God's gifts, the enemy has perverted this one in numerous ways. Much of what passes for humor today is merely glitter sprinkled on filthy language and perversion. What's left is mostly cynical. Man is surrounded by spiritual death with no hope of resurrection in the secular man. The best comedians can do now is unite people through laughter at the nihilistic ruin in which we live. Man is hopeless, therefore he is humorless. Comedy also once served to tell the truth in a delightful way. In the Middle Ages, a jester could say what no one else could because people laughed, including the king himself, who is likely the object of the joke. The king would laugh because of the way he said it. Today, any truth that comes through humor is bludgeoned to death by the governmental and technological powers in the name of political correctness. The gift of humor, given for our delight, is resisted by the enemy. Ours is an age that wants to control, to bend reality to its will. This control is attempted through seizing control of language. For since the creation, we know that whoever rules the word, rules the world. If creation and order come through the life-giving word, then decreation and disorder is sown through false words. Children are born realists. They know innately what is true and what isn't. While Jesus said that to come into the kingdom of God, we must become like little children, the world demands that to get around and to to gain the upper echelons of power and prestige in its kingdom, we must become skeptical 
scornful adults. Acquiring status in the world demands that we learn to speak falsely. When people possess a weapon that isn't understood or controlled by the enemy, his top priority is to steal it. Humor is such a weapon. It can only exist because there is such a thing as reality and that words have particular meaning. Humor is based on the element of surprise. We expect to hear one thing and we hear something different. The surprising word, phrase, or ending is a type of apocalypse. Something is revealed that we didn't see before. And as a result, we have greater joy. And even that joy sometimes will erupt in laughter. For this to work, humor demands not only that the teller believes in reality, but the hearer, if even for a moment, also acknowledges that reality exists. Therefore, humor has always been a way, borrowing from C.S. Lewis, to, quote, sneak past the watchful dragons. Humor usually serves one of three purposes. To attack, to restore, or to preserve. Attacking humor serves as an offensive weapon. There is a place, certainly, for this type of humor, but it is similar to fighting with swords or cannons. People easily get hurt if A, they don't know what they're doing, or B, they are aware of what they're doing but are apathetic towards the damage that it may cause. The principles of just war theory, handed down to us through Christian tradition over centuries, are actually helpful when it comes to using this type of destructive humor. With that said, I will then add that attacking humor is not the emphasis of these lectures today. Instead, I want us to consider how humor restores and helps us maintain a joyful heart. Number one, humor can call our attention to the beauty of words. Humor can call our attention to the beauty of words. The world is not a boring place. But passing through it each day, we become inoculated to the goodness of God. Humor directs our attention to the amazing things that surround us. For instance, words. Words are amazing things. Contrary to postmodern theory, words have specific meanings. If you want proof of this, one book you could look at is by a man named Owen Barfield. Barfield was an inkling, a contemporary of Lewis and Tolkien, and others, and he actually was the, he's considered the first and the last inkling. The first because he was one of the original to help start the club meeting in the 1920s. The last because he died in 1996, I believe. <clears throat> but his book, The History 
history in English words is a fascinating foray into the world and history of certain words. And it actually, in these words itself, it walks you through history in general. Yet those meanings and sounds, the meanings and sounds of words vary slightly in some cases and drastically in others. But when put together, those words that sound similar or that have similar definitions, when you put together, they yield humor. Take, for example, the comedian Groucho Marx. Now, I had a number of quotes I could have chosen, but one of my favorite has always been, outside a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside a dog, it's too dark to read. <laughs> or, time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. P.G. Woodhouse, who I will refer to several times and would have referred to even more if I had the opportunity, said in one of his books, there's only one cure for gray hair. It was invented by a Frenchman. It's called the guillotine. <laughs> now there's more, of course, we could talk about, but hopefully you get the point. Here I want to point out, though, that the purpose of humor is not just to make people laugh. Laughter is wonderful, but as you know, laughter can be superficial. The best humor gets into your soul. It gladdens your heart like old, wonderful wine. As Solomon said, a merry heart is like a medicine that spreads throughout your body. We don't just want to laugh, though we want to participate in and enjoy the gifts that make a merry heart. The world can laugh, but the world does not have final hope in their laughter. Laughter is merely a salve to cover deep, gaping wounds that no one wants to talk about. The Christian has the reason for laughter not just outwardly, but the reason dwelling in his soul. The idea of participation is important, for we must give ourselves to that. We must give ourselves to whatever it is in which we are participating instead of overlook it. Before the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5 that Adam represented all men, God communicated this same truth in wordplay in Genesis chapter 2. The Hebrew word for Adam is the same as the word, the Hebrew word for man. So when you read the creation story in Hebrew, you see already Adam's story is our story. The story of Adam is the story of man. And in his fall, we also fell. Paul was not just making up some great philosophical idea. He's taking this from inspired Scripture. When you read there, you can see that wordplay is a gift from God, but, but it's harder for us because English wordplay is different than that in Hebrew. 
Hebrew wordplay is is easier to do because they didn't, in the ancient text, use con excuse me use vowels. They only use consonants. Words, pronunciations, and meanings can mix freely. Now, I'm not saying that the words don't have specific meaning. They do. But there's often, there, there are many times when the, the, the patriarchs and the prophets, they would use wordplay to communicate beyond the mere literal meaning of the word. The example of Noah is a wonderful testimony to this in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Three other Hebrew words have the same, in, in that passage, have the same form, the same consonant letters as Noah's name. The words regret, as in when, when God said, I regret making man. The word grace, when we read Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, or another uh, term for that is favor. And then rest. The ark rested on Mount Ararat. You essentially have the gospel itself presented just in Noah's name. So when you read Noah, you have another character who just in his name tells you what's going to happen in the future history of God's people. You have in Noah's name God's sorrow at man's fall. You have grace given to his seed, and then you have rest from the affliction of the flood. We serve a magnificently creative God who loves doing things like this, and most of us will never know. And that, that's one of the beautiful things about our God, that He has hidden so many wonderful, beautiful, small mysteries in every element of the creation. And many of them we have only started to discover. And on top of that, there are millions more that we haven't, that man has not discovered yet, but will in the hereafter, later on with our future generations, and then of course in the new creation when we all will grow in that knowledge. So the story of Noah and the wordplay in Genesis 6, 7, and 8 may not make you laugh, but it will give you hope. Number two, humor reminds us of our humanity and God's goodness. We see human weakness and sin all around, especially our own weakness and sin. We laugh at some jokes because they symbolize our blindness. Like the story of the woman who called her husband on his way home from work. Honey, she said, be careful. The traffic reporter just announced that there's a car driving the wrong way on the interstate. It's worse than that, the husband said. There's hundreds of cars driving the wrong way on the interstate. <laughs> the words human and humble derive from the same origin, meaning of the earth. The word humor originally refers to one of four liquids that was thought to affect our mood. So the word humor and also humidity, which we know plenty of 
down here, and slowly it is, it is retracting its way by God's wonderful providence in this season we call autumn. But we know about humidity, so humor and humidity come from the same origin as well. Etymologists claim, though, that there is little connection between the, between the word humor and human. But it's hard to separate those two. The funniest stories are those that depict the walking, talking fallacy that is man. Good humorists point out our weaknesses without abusing us because of those weaknesses. Take again the great English writer P.G. Woodhouse. He had a way with language that can make the most somber angels smile. He was a master of individual words, of metaphors, and of stories that delight and help us smile, not only at others, but also at ourselves. A few quotes from Woodhouse will hopefully suffice. One, describing a gentleman, he said, a melancholy looking man, he had the appearance of one who had searched for the leak of life's gas pipe with a lighted candle. <laughs> or, the preface to, or the introduction to one of his novels called Summer Moonshine, he said this, quote, a certain critic, for such men I regret to say do exist, made the nasty remark about my last novel that it contained all the old Woodhouse characters under different names. He has probably now been eaten by bears like the children who made mock of the prophet Elisha. <laughs> but if he still survives, he will not be able to make a similar charge against summer moonshine. With my superior intelligence, I have outgeneraled the man this time by putting in all the old Woodhouse characters under the same names. <laughs> Pretty silly it will make him feel, I rather fancy. And then, of course, there is Pastor Douglas Wilson's, probably his favorite Woodhouse quote. If you've read very much of him, you know he loves quoting Woodhouse. But this quote he's given several times, and it's been one of my favorites also. Some minds are like soup in a bad restaurant, better left unstirred. Woodhouse's stories tell of foolish family members irresponsible neighbors, atrocious aunts, and people who can't see, excuse me, who, people who can see everyone else's flaws, but not their own. When we laugh at those imaginary characters, we get a glimpse of the world as it is. But as these stories usually work out, we are reminded of our own stories, of how God has worked in our lives also. For example, when you read about Tom Sawyer attending his own funeral, you all remember that? You ever read, read, read Tom Sawyer? And you read his description of attending his funeral. Wonderful. It should remind you of the odd situations of your own life that you could never imagine happening, but happened nonetheless. Take the example of the late Jerry Clower a Mississippi storyteller who started his life selling fertilizer across the South. 
he would go to different conventions and he would usually stand up and he would tell these gatherings, certain stories of his growing up, and those stories would be so popular that eventually people started paying him to not talk about the fertilizer and just come and tell his stories. But one of Clower's stories is about the Ledbetter family eating fried chicken one night for supper. After everyone had been served in this family, at one point the, there was one piece of chicken, fried chicken, on the platter, and all of a sudden the power went out. It was pitch black, no one could see, and then there was a scream that pierced the air. The power came back on, and they saw what happened. The dad's hand was on the last piece of fried chicken, and five forks were all stabbed into his hand. Our lives are filled with unique situations that both remind us of our fragility and of how God came through on our behalf despite our getting in the way. This feeds our hope. This allows us to look at whatever the situation is in front of us and know there's someone who's telling this story. It's not me. It's not you. And this same one who has caused all of these wonderful situations to end in a beautiful way in the past, beautiful at least after the fact, not during the time, that same one is working now. Not only to bring a grand comedic ending, but He's inserting many wonderful smaller stories throughout the situations you're facing. Number three, humor reveals the weakness of our enemies. What makes God laugh? Psalm 2 tells us, the plotting of the wicked who think they can overthrow the Almighty. This type of humor can easily morph into attacking humor, but it can also be used even when overt attack is not the intent. Scripture is actually a haven of stories. And often it's the story of, well, the humor's it's dark in some spots. Telling of those who oppose the right and receive their comeuppance in time. For instance, in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, we read about wicked king Jehoram. Now you may not appreciate what I'm about to describe with Jehoram, and that's okay. I, I have a little bit of, well, Amanda can tell you. I appreciate a bit of dark humor at times. So reading the Bible is a lot of fun, especially if, if, if you take that, that edge. Anyway, with King Jehoram, it said that he opposed God. He turned to idols. And the prophet Elijah, speaking for God, said that he would die by his own bowels falling out. Then for good measure, we're told, he died to no one's regret. Terrible way to go. Or Herod in Acts 12. At first, we're told in Acts 12 that he killed the apostle James. Then, seeing that this impressed the Jews, he imprisoned Peter 
planning to kill him, but Peter was miraculously rescued by an angel. Still feeling pretty good about himself, Herod went on to give a powerful speech to a crowd, but he did not give glory to God. So we're told that the Lord's angel slew him and he was eaten by worms. Have you ever wondered why did Scripture add that last little bit that he was eaten by worms and died? We don't know exactly. But you can see that those who oppose God, this is just a small picture of what happens to them, if not in this life, what happens eternally. That is not something to laugh over. But we, we can be reminded that the Lord's justice is always sure. Dark humor for wickedness is common throughout history. Hilaire Belloc, the English writer and friend of G.K. Chesterton, wrote two children's books about this, one called The Bad Child's Book of Beasts and Cautionary Tales for Children. The latter tells about recalcitrant children with various vices who bring destruction on themselves, such as Jim, who ran away from his nurse and was eaten by a lion, or Rebecca, who slammed doors for fun and eventually came to a miserable end when she slammed one door and a heavy vase fell on her. The CIA declassified multiple jokes that were heard on the streets of Russia when the communists were in control. Many of those jokes made their way to the desk of President Ronald Reagan, our first president to use them liberally in his public speeches. In one joke, he said, a Russian and an American were arguing whose country had the most freedom. The American said, I can stand in front of the White House without fear and yell, Ronald Reagan is an idiot. The Russian said, what's so great about that? I can stand outside the Kremlin and without fear say, Ronald Reagan is an idiot. <laughs> Tyrannical leaders don't mind open confrontations because they usually possess greater power than the one they're confronting. And they're also not moved by sympathy, but they cannot stand before laughter. Now, this is not the scornful, hate-filled laughter we might think of, but the laughter of an adult who sees a child throwing a tantrum because the tree he's hitting with a stick will not fall down. That is God's enemies when they scheme against him. Do you want to imitate the Almighty? Do you want to have peace when you know the enemy or enemies are prowling? Don't try to out-scheme him or overpower him. Give him what we can call the Rabidash treatment from C.S. Lewis's The Horse and His Boy. Rabidash was the wicked prince of Kalorman who made his way over towards the very end to attack King Loon and Arch the, the, the people of Archon Land. Rabidash, at one point, he was fighting in this battle and he ends up being, getting his shirt caught. 
And he's just hanging there and he's swinging and everyone starts laughing at him and he's furious because we're told no one dared laugh at him in Kalorman. They were all afraid because he could have them killed, but here he had no power. Our enemies may kill our body, but they cannot kill our soul. You can laugh confidently at the enemy's plans even though you don't know how things will turn out because the Holy One of Israel is your protector and provider. Number four, humor helps preserve hope in difficult times. We've all faced hard times. Times when we questioned or doubted if it would ever end. At these times, humor is a good medicine. But laughter and a merry heart are not the same thing. One can laugh without joy, just as you, it's possible to have joy without laughter. But a joyful heart is certainly more prone to laughter than the one who lacks it. So which is it? Does a merry heart free us to laugh? Or does laughter lead us to a merry heart? Well, it can actually be both. God's gift of one can lead to the other. One of the complaints against humorists like Woodhouse, Mark Twain, George Ade, another uh, mid-20th century writer, is that they are escapists telling made-up stories for the sole purpose of making you laugh. What's the difference between reading good humorist made-up stories and watching the made-up news of cable television? Which one supports your joy, restores your hope, and gives you a better chance to see the world as a little child? Sure, humorists tell exaggerated stories, but those stories temporarily restore the imbalance that exists in our souls. Good humor allows us to see the world right side up for a change and nourishes our hearts against the cynical barrage that accosts us every day. That doesn't mean we should only read funny stories, just like you shouldn't only eat carbohydrates. But like carbohydrates, Without humor, life would be a lot more bland. So cultivate a merry heart. Learn to look at the world as God's playhouse and remember that you are one of His treasured children. Read Woodhouse, listen to Jerry Clower, and find others who point to man's humanity, God's goodness, evil's destruction, and hope's triumph. Enjoy the gift of good humor and learn to see the world as a little child. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.